Coming Back is a listener-supported podcast. To support the show and get exclusive access to podcast swag, giveaways, private grief hangouts, and more, head on over to patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia. Support the show for as little as $1 per month and change or cancel your support at any time. Thank you so much for listening. Hi there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after death, divorce, diagnosis, and more. On today's show, I'm talking to Katie Huey, the list maker, introvert, and writer behind 52 Beautiful Things. Katie lost her dad to a heart attack suddenly in 2016 and then faced the stress and financial strain of both hers and her husband's unemployment. We're getting into Jesus, gratitude, and the pain of grieving in your 20s. Also on the show today, I'm announcing the winner of my In the Meantime giveaway. I'm Shelby for Cynthia, an intuitive grief guide who speaks, writes, and teaches powerful truths on grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to equip others with the knowledge to heal and remind them that they are not alone. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 5 of Coming Back. I am so thrilled to be back on the mic with you for 12 brand new full-length episodes of Coming Back. Before we jump into today's interview, I want to announce the winner of my In the Meantime Patreon giveaway. Connie H., congratulations, you have won two copies of the Grief Recovery Method Handbook, which is the book I often say has changed my life and my grief, three coming back podcast stickers, and a big old thank you note straight from my desk. I am absolutely delighted to send these prizes your way. Thank you so, so much for your continued support of coming back on Patreon. You are just one of so many who keep the lights on at this little podcasting desk in Chicago, and I cannot begin to tell you how much I appreciate it. So keep your eyes on the mail for your packaged winnings. As a reminder, Grief Growers, I host a giveaway every four months in April, August, and December. So the fourth month, the eighth month, and the twelfth month. When I take regular breaks from full-time podcasting, I operate by a 12 full-length episodes, a break, 12 full-length episodes, a break, 12 full-length episodes, and a break uh, throughout the year, both to rest my voice and to kind of step back and survey the land for the next series of episodes And in those break periods, I host something that I affectionately refer to as the In the Meantime giveaway, where I'm giving away books or podcast swag or uh, notes from my desk, things about my grief journey uh, as well to show my appreciation for your support of the show. So if you would like to support this podcast and enter the next In the Meantime giveaway, all you have to do is pledge to become a patron of this podcast before April 30th, 2019 over at patreon.com slash Shelby for Scythia, which you can find that link both on my website and in the show notes for this episode. And the winner of the next giveaway will be drawn on May 1st when season six of Coming Back makes its debut. 
And really quickly, I want to say a huge, 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 tremendous thank you to everyone who has made the decision to support this podcast on Patreon in 2018. I launched my Patreon page at this time in January of last year in 2018, and I had absolutely no idea whether anyone would say yes to pledging in exchange for a shout out on the show and maybe some stickers and some monthly private hangout time with me. But say yes, you did, grief growers, and I cannot tell you how much I look forward to connecting with each of you who've pledged every single month in the hour-long live hangouts. And your financial support of this show has done everything from pay the virtual quote-unquote rent. So this podcast is evergreen. It's always available to people who need to find it online. And you've also helped contribute financially to my personal ticket on the 2019 bereavement cruise in March so that the messages that I spread here on coming back are available then to a wider audience, which is really, really incredible. I get chills talking about this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, this truly is my dream to keep doing this grief work so that the people who do feel alone in this, who feel like they don't have resources, who feel like they can't afford to pay for it right now can find it and it's accessible for free. And it's from wise people who have walked the road before, uh, and from somebody who is still walking the road from all of you and from me too. And to know, me to know, that so many of you are supporting this grief work in the midst of your own griefs and losses is just mind-blowing to me. It's it's powerful, and it's incredibly humbling. So again, if you would like to support the show this year in 2019 and become uh, kind of an insider of the work that I do on Patreon, head on over to patreon.com slash Shelby for Scythia, and I am so excited to see you there. Next up, my conversation with Katie Huey of 52 Beautiful Things on the loss of her dad in 2016. Katie Huey is a vanilla latte loving writer who enjoys searching for ordinary and beautiful things. When not working at her day job, she blogs regularly at 52beautifulthings.com. She currently lives in Colorado with her husband, Dylan, and a rambunctious puppy named Olive. Well, Katie, I am so thrilled to have you on the podcast this week. You and I met uh, within the Modern Loss Facebook group. Is that correct? Yeah, that's where I found you. Awesome. Yeah, we connected in uh, the Modern Loss Facebook group, and Modern Loss is a place where I post a lot of articles over to the Shelby for Scythia page or even reference them in the email blast that I send out. And you sent me your story and I was just so interested in how you produced something that is so beautiful from your loss or so reflective. Uh, And I think that's really interesting. I'm excited to share your story and your work today. So Katie, welcome to the show. And if you could please uh, share with us your loss story. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's wonderful to connect with people who are interested in talking candidly about grief, so I'm honored to be here. Um, well, my name is Katie, and it's kind of like an AA format. You know, you're like, my loss is, or my qualifier is. But um, in March of 2016, my dad passed away unexpectedly. Um, he was seemingly fine uh, the night before, had dinner at my house, and um the next morning, um, actually had a heart attack and died at my parents' house. And in the midst of that, you know, immediate loss, lots of things happen. You family comes and surrounds you, and um, and then everybody leaves. And 
in that everybody leaving process, um, about a month after my dad died, my husband was laid off from his job. And then um, a short month after that, I was actually let go from a new position that I had taken too. So not only, you know, were we dealing with a loss of epic proportions from a loved one, but also our financial stability was kind of ripped from under us too. So 2016 was definitely a year of spiraling, compounding uh, confusion, I guess you could say. Um, And then you add a big pile of grief on top of that. So that was where you start, I guess. Um, In the process of unemployment, we spent a lot of time with my mom um, and my brother who they actually, you know, still live in the same house and it's wonderful that we're in the same town. Um, But I just kind of call that time period where we would sit and stare at the wall a lot, um, cry a lot, not really know what to do, um, which I think is very natural and also very unsettling. Um, So, you know, as it's been almost three years, we're coming up on the three-year anniversary. And as I look back, um, lots of things happen, but living in what I call the baby steps, um, I think it's been a process of getting our confidence back while learning how to adjust to new normals. Um, and... I guess I can talk about a little bit my writing and how that's helped me to kind of intertwine throughout this whole process. I had actually started a blog in the beginning of 2013. Um, I was a young 20 something um, and I had just gotten engaged and we were planning a wedding and my grandfather died. So as kind of a way to cope with that, um, I started writing this blog, which I call 52 Beautiful Things, and it's my attempt to find good things that the world has to offer when things feel a little bit chaotic. So I write each week um, just about things that I find to be delightful or healing or um, charming or things that I'm thankful for, Um, and it's been evolving. So, you know, I had three years of content before my dad died. And now I'm coming up on three years more of new content, but it's really been a space to find healing despite the chaos that grief brings. Um, I think it's interesting too, from an introvert's perspective, you get to share your heart online and you don't really know how people are reacting Um, can kind of hide behind a screen, but I've had a lot of people really resonate and say, thank you for sharing this process. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I'm picking up on uh, through your work as well. And just kind of reading all the places you are. I know you have the website and you have a, um, a bit that you write over on medium as well. And I want to kind of, I'm drawing a loop in the air with my hands. I know you can't see me on this end of the mic. Um, so I kind of loop back to this kind of cluster of losses of your dad dying suddenly and then your husband losing his job and then you losing your job. And the first question that popped into my mind was, 
what happened to your faith? And this is not like a religious question. Um, but I feel like most of us kind of walk in the ra- around in the world with this belief that like the world is inherently good. And if I'm a good person, good things happen to me. And like, um, mm-hmm. or just, you know, or like faith that there will be a job tomorrow or food on the table or like some kind of ground or like structure. Um, and so the right. first question that immediately popped in my brain as you started speaking is, whoa, what happened to her faith and all of that? Interesting. Well, it's, I think that's a great question. I think, um, I was raised, actually, my dad was a minister until I was, you know, in late elementary school. So very much had a Christian foundation. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm laughing at this. Um, but, uh, I, I call myself an intuitive grief guide because I feel like I'm more than a grief counselor and that I just have these like nudges sometimes of like, I need to ask a question this way. And so your dad was a minister for a bit. Yeah. When I was, when I was young and um, my parents actually did children's ministry and I was very much kind of a youth group kid and um, kind of coming of age in college, you start asking a lot of questions about what do I believe and what don't I believe? And my background is in sociology and social justice. And so you ask a lot, I've always asked a lot of questions of like, if God is good, why does so much pain exist? Um, and so when it, when pain becomes personal, those questions become very personal. And I think we've had a lot of discussions, um, my husband and I and my family, and I came to this place of, for me, um, I don't know why God causes this pain, but I'd rather do this with a higher power than without. And so I think in the midst of all those swirling messes, it was faith because that's what gives you survival. Um, and I'd rather find comfort that for me it's Jesus, but it doesn't have to be for everyone. Um, you know, the comfort that Jesus's presence can bring. And there were a lot of Bible verses, you know, just like Jesus is with those who are mourning and he sees your tears. And so it was kind of a clinging desperation of like, holy crap, I hope there's something bigger than me because I got nothing. Um, And I think when that was true for my husband and my mom and my brother, like the most important people in my life, we were all kind of clinging to each other. So it's been really wonderful to see how God has provided. Um, And I know that sounds a little bit cliche because there's also very real realities. Get life insurance. Life insurance is a life changer. Mm -hmm. Um, but in terms of my faith, I think it almost brought me back to more of my traditional roots. I think I had a lot of questions about Christianity, but some of that black and white fades away and you're just like, I just really need a higher power right now. I like that explanation of it because I was also raised in a Christian home and I kind of went the total opposite direction where I was like, well, if this happened, then God for sure has forsaken my entire family. And I hadn't really been um, practicing like spiritually like three or four years before my mother died. And so it's an Mm -hmm. interesting, I just love how you phrase this. I'd rather do it with a higher power than without. Like if you're going to give me the choice to grieve with faith or without faith, I'm going to pick the one with. And that leads me to kind of a different question. Um, and that is how did faith look in the midst of all this? Or I'm, I guess I'm kind of swirling around in my brain, like how did your 
prayers change if you prayed at all? Or how did faith look with other people? Like I imagine like showing up to church and sometimes singing songs about, you know, how great God is and all that. Did you, did you believe it or did you have a different song? Like I'm just kind of, how did grief transform your relationship with Jesus? Hmm. It's a good question. Um, I think, you know, before my dad died, we weren't necessarily in like a let's go to church every week, practicing faith that way mentality. Um, not that there's nothing wrong with church. We just weren't going on a regular basis. I think prayers certainly change. There's a time you know, for pleading <laughs> kind of down on your knees where you you are beating your metaphorical fists against God's chest saying, what am I supposed to do? Um, I think too, it also, prayer looked a lot like gratitude lists. Um, I don't know where this practice came from, but for me, it's writing down all the things that are going okay. Um, and maybe that was probably not in the immediate aftermath it's funny how trauma kind of blocks things out of your brain, Mm -hmm. but um, we certainly were not a part of a church community in the sense that we had all these people of faith to go get support from. It was interesting though, because my dad was a minister um, in the community and then he also had his own business for 20 years. So there were a lot of people who really were grieving him on a kind of public way. Um, which brings up a lot of old stuff when you're a family of the church and then all these people from the church come back 15 years later and you're like, wow, I haven't talked to you in a long time. So I think going back to your original question, you start to see really interesting webs of connection that relationships bring Um, which can carry their own baggage, but also just a sense of trusting that these people were put in your life for a certain reason, um, that they can come back in different ways, that, you know, again, this sounds cliche, but like God really does work in mysterious ways. Um, One of the answers to my prayers, I, so my dad was an insurance agent um, and he had his own business and Obviously, as a result of him no longer being alive, they decided what to do with his business. Um, And the agent that kind of acquired most of my dad's business hired me on. Um, And so I went to work in this new agent's office for about a year and a half, um, which looking back was like absolutely crazy, absolutely crazy that I would go into this space and work with all of my dad's old clients. I love that story, though, about you going to work for his insurance company and taking on literally taking on his client load. And then these clients are people who, uh, Caleb wild is an author who came on coming back last year in 2018. And he is a funeral director who, uh, was raised in a Christian faith, kind of lost along the way, thought he was going to be a missionary and then joined, um, a six generations long funeral, uh, business, funeral home business. And um, he talks a lot about in one chapter how we ourselves, but everyone who has ever known the person who we loved is like a mosaic of them. 
So everybody yeah. kind of has all these like sprinkle shards of information. So they have stories about you that your dad told them in a certain way. And you have stories about your dad, of course, because you were raised by him and related to him and all these other things. And so if you put all these things together, you can almost reconstruct a whole person again, even though they can't appear physically. And so I definitely resonate with that idea of you kind of get it where you can, you know, you get, um, you get the exposure to your loved one, however you possibly can. And whether that's, you know, asking people to tell you stories as you're selling them car insurance, I mean, so be it. Right. Yeah. It was definitely a gift and looking back a very bizarre gift. Um, but I, I never would have seen that side of him otherwise. And I'm very thankful for that opportunity and thankful for the agent that worked with me and um, thankful to my dad's clients. I think it was certainly challenging, even though I didn't start working there until about three months after my dad had died, people still did not know what had happened. And so I just look back with like amazing strength that I could be the one to tell these people what had happened and that dad was gone. And um, I think there's power in using those words yourself. Um, I wrote a piece about it actually about why therapists make you say like my dad, Roy Chrisman died on March 18th, 2016, just saying that over and over and over again until it seeps into your brain and your bones and your heart. Yeah. Cause it is something that starts off as unbelievable. Right. And then goes into, well, maybe cause there's no proof that they're around anymore. Right. And then it becomes a very I mean, if you'll pardon the expression, like a dead set reality. Um, yeah, to, to be the messenger of that information is definitely a very, very heavy and just large. It's just a large order. It's a tall order um, mm-hmm. to ask of a daughter, especially. I want to get into your writing for a little bit because you had 52 Beautiful Things pre- your dad's loss, and then post as well. And on the show, we talk a lot about the loss and regaining of creativity or creative outlets after sure. a loved one dies or after we experience major loss. And I think the biggest piece of that is is whether or not we feel like we're putting ourselves into our work anymore. Um, and so I, I'm not entirely sure how to phrase this, but I'm wondering if there was a point in time where you feel like you lost your voice or that you couldn't write or the words wouldn't come or if there was like a pivot where everything sort of changed direction or if you were like, I'm just going to keep this down the path I've been going um, and and hold it as like a steady practice, like something to cling to that's consistent and normal in my life. Yeah, those are a lot of, a lot of good questions. I think my blog continued to be a safe space for me to express things. Um, interestingly, I was a very dedicated personal journaler. Um, like, you know, I had journals from the time I was 15 until 27. Um, and for whatever reason, I have stopped writing pen to paper in a journal when my dad died. And I haven't really gotten back to that. So it's something about the truth of putting those words in a personal place, I haven't been able to do. Ironically, I can type it out and um, 
share it for the world without a problem. <laughs> You're like, it's that whole using a pen as an instrument thing that's really hard. <laughs> right. Like ink to paper makes it more real. I don't know if that is what's tying me up. But mm-hmm. so from a creative perspective, I think it's curious. It's almost like I, I know it's so true to myself that I kind of have to share with other people. Um, and there are many, many, many Monday nights where I click publish and I'm like, holy crap, that was too vulnerable. I don't care, you know, or I get really nervous about how people are going to perceive the posts. And sometimes I can tell if it was a little too much because people don't like it or don't comment. And other times, you know, when you're a little more or a little less raw, people engage a little bit more. So, um, I don't feel that I have stopped the creative process, but my tone and my outlook has completely changed. And I think, of course it has, you know, it's, it's the point where everything pivots. And, um, I think too, there was probably periods of more desperation where I needed to find good things that were happening and now that you asked that question, I kind of want to go back and read those posts specific to 2017 and see mm. what I was searching for. Um, it's a little easier now. Your heart, my heart's a little lighter. But I think writing as a creative outlet, it's almost, you know, people joke a lot about like, is writing therapy? And you're like, kind of, but I just sort of have to get it out. Mm-hmm. I definitely sit squarely in that camp and I didn't, I wrote stories a lot as a kid, but then standardized testing kind of beat the writer out of me for a while. Sure. Um, yeah. And I didn't get back into it until after my mom died. And at first I started writing letters to her. I felt a need to keep her up to date on what was going on with my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then gradually I shipped to uh, me writing to my future self because I felt like I would come back and read these someday. And now I just write to to anything. And of course I have my public facing journals that I, um, that I publish, but I also have some private ones too. I want to, um, I want to touch on something that you said that I actually kind of unearthed in my research of you and 52 beautiful things. And that is, um, the concept you said that journaling makes you feel lighter. And I noticed this word choice of yours over and over and over again on your blog, I wrote down specifically, what did I write? I wrote whisper, air, and light. They mm. they show up all the time in your work, at least um, at least kind of from the first glimpses that I could find. And all these things have such um to me they register as being like such a soft touch, almost like I'm getting chills right now. This is a weird thing, but like um like angelic, like just behind the veil. Mm. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering kind of where those words come from for you or what calls you to them to use them in your work? That's really beautiful. Um, thank you. <laughs> I think, so I kind of have adopted a tagline. Um, and it, what I say is because hope floats on whispers and healing can be found in the pursuit of beautiful things. And I think I've always been more of a gentle observer Um, I'm an introvert, certainly, and a very sensitive person. And I think 
I struggle operating in kind of our mainstream world because people are loud and we're expected to move so fast. And I find so much comfort in the people who really like look you in the eye and, um, you know, kind of put a, put a gentle hand on your arm or just take the time to see people. Um, and so I often find myself kind of operating in slow motion compared to how other people are choosing to go so quickly through their days and their worlds. Um, I also think we have choices in our outlooks and our perspectives and our, our media, our subconscious, you know, we're trained to look for the negative. And actually right out of college, I served an AmeriCorps term working at a nonprofit with youth aging out of foster care. And I will always remember our executive director saying that many people are programmed to tell you what's going wrong in their world because that helps them get their needs met. But when you stop and listen to what's going right, um, people really connect with you. And I just, that was such an aha moment for me um, because it is, it's easy to look at everything that's bad and doomed as Anne Lamott kind of jokes about. Um, but what happens when you like sit down and take a cool drink from a glass of water and say, actually, what's going right? And that's really what I want to try to capture. I think that was just the perfect little synopsis. And I'm going to go back to one other point in our conversation really quickly. And that was when you said, um, I was living in the baby steps. Mm -hmm. And I, I got this, I'm getting chills again, but I get this, um, this image of just from what you said, grief seems to be one of these things that helps us get to where you are, which is kind of like slowed down, tuned in, observing here. And most of us resent grief for that because we want to be fast and we want to be loud. And we want to be expressive and, and extroverted and, you know, the life of the party and we want things to be going well. And I think that one of the biggest things that grief teaches us is that impact is not always big, fast, loud. Um, and I just think that's so lovely. So can you um, let us all know what you mean by living in the baby steps? Yeah. I think the way my, ex my family experienced grief, um, it was definitely a knock you on your feet. Like, what the heck do we do? Um, and I think grief is exhausting and overwhelming and people expect you to move on really quickly. And I don't know if it was cause we went to several grief groups or we're just very therapized. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but asking questions of like, what can you realistically accomplish today? And, celebrating the small wins like um hooray you took a shower like you ate breakfast you got out of bed and you were able to cook a meal I mean actually even as we're talking I think there's just a lot of pride in recovery and giving 
myself permission to say, I can't do this all right now is really important. Um, I think one of my challenges and angers about my grief and my loss experiences, it happened in my mid twenties when I was supposed to be doing other things. Um, I have yeah. a lot of comparison envy, you know, like I had already gotten married, but friends who were getting their dream jobs or traveling the world or going to grad school, I felt like my mid twenties were eaten up by a lot of crying and taking care of my mom and, um, figuring out how to survive. And so looking back, I can be proud of what I did, but I think when you're in it, you don't realize how significant those little hard things are. Yeah. And they take up so, so much emotional, mental, heart energy to accomplish that even to do one or two in a day is like, okay, that's as much as I can muster. That's it. That's I'm tapped out at this point. Right. Um, And I know you talk a lot about permission giving, but just to anyone out there doing this right now, it's like, hooray, you brushed your hair. (laughs) Like Those little things really matter. They do. And there's signs that are heartbreaking at first because we remember that we are still alive when a lot of times we want to just curl up and die right along with the people who died. And, um, yeah, it's like a, um, the phrase that's coming to me right now is like a forced living, a forced aliveness. Mm. Um, which is, I guess another one of the big reasons is that it's so exhausting is that it feels like it's forced to stay alive is a hard thing to do. Um, when something so incredibly tragic and heartbreaking is happening, like our hearts are literally broken. Um, right. And to accomplish the things that we do in a day while we're grieving is really like, it sounds so trivial and there's those little like lapel pins and stuff that are like, hooray, you did your best or hooray, you made the bed or like all this stuff. But I'm like, but no, really it's like right. the fact that I, you know, continue to feed myself and I was in my final semester of college when my mom died, but to like to study and write a thesis <laughs> and like all this stuff, I was like, hooray, right. you did the thing. Um, right. So it, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. That's a lot. Something that I like about your work too is that there's so much perpetuation in our culture of attitude of gratitude, and that's all we're allowed to see. But mm. within your 52 Beautiful Things, it's I am seeing these beautiful things alongside of the grief and the garbage and the holidays and like all these other things that are going along. And, um, and that's really comforting because all of a sudden it's like you you see with both eyes. You don't have to, you know, just look through one and force others to only look through that one too. <laughs> um, oh yeah. There's a very just like a clear-eyed picture of life is beautiful amidst the worst thing that has ever happened to you. And so there's an immense amount of comfort in that, especially for me as a reader. Thanks. Oh yeah, I would I forget that sometimes our culture is always like, let's be positive. And like, well, let's sit in the shit too. Because, <laughs> you know, you gotta it. do both. I you love do that. I mostly like it because it rhymes, but oh my gosh, what a great <laughs> way to phrase that. You're like, well, there's this reality too. Um, I want to explore something that you've touched on a couple times and that is uh, your introversion, self-identifying mm-hmm. as an introvert. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering um, how maybe that 
impacted your grief or how that high level of sensitivity or observance has impacted this entire journey for you? Yeah. Let me think on that for a second. Mm -hmm. That's a big one. Yeah. I think for many, many people, grief is incredibly lonely. Um, And I think that plays into my relationships in many ways. Um, Because I do feel things so deeply, a lot of times I feel like I carry that by myself. Just because sometimes I feel like maybe I scare people a little bit with like my observations and things. Um, you know, you, you asked the question about how my faith was involved in relationships and I'm just thinking back to that, you know, that spring of 2016, my husband and I actually joined a small group at our church to try to build some new relationships um, but here are the three questions that people ask you when you're meeting new people. Um, what do you do? Like, tell me about your family. So maybe it's just two questions. What do you do? And tell me about your family. And you're like, we're unemployed. And my dad just died. Like, I don't want to answer these questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, and so coming up with creative ways to, I think, protect myself and share my stories with people who earn your trust, as Brene Brown says, um, or earn the ability to know your story. I think to, we just spent a lot of time with like my mom and Dylan's parents, my in-laws. Um, you don't have a lot of energy to exert in other people's things and friendships change and relationships change. And I kind of break it into like before and after people, um, like people I knew before dad died and people I've met after. And sometimes there are the brave, courageous few that walk through it with you. Um, but I've really started paying attention to who I wanted to spend time with. And, um, Sometimes you're kind of forced into introversion because people are scared of spending time with you. And that's sort of a sucky reality of grief too. Mm. That's definitely true. And yeah, I don't know that I can necessarily speak to introversion in my life, but I know I kind of became a learned introvert as a result of my grief. That harkens back to that kind of a forced slowing down that grief brings with it um but also yeah I kind of became a person that not a lot of people wanted to be around and so there's a yeah there's a forced introversion that happens with that too where it's like well I guess I'm alone again right if if there are listeners of the show and I imagine there are that are feeling like they are alone with their grief in not a good way. Cause there's being alone with your grief in like a companionate way, I think. And then there's being mm-hmm. alone with your grief in like a misery way. Um, right. what would be your message to them? That's a great question too. We've got all the good questions. Um, <laughs> this is not a, where are you from? What do you do? Tell me about your family. Right? No, I love it. <laughs> exactly. Well, those answers suck. So, um, 
I think you first have to start with the question, what do I need? And Mm -hmm. I think that was so true in the baby steps phase and in the second anniversary phase and in the recovered, I mean, I'm not recovered, but like in the living more normally phase. Um, Because another really bummer thing about grief is no one's going to tell you how to do this. And well, they can try, but usually like their solutions don't work um, because it's yours and it's yours alone. And so whether that's, I need a grief group where I can share with people, or I just need a hot shower, or I need to identify one person that I'm going to try and see if they are safe and give them a call. Um, I think it requires a lot of risking your heart to share your grief. Um, Like I said, I can share publicly on a podcast, but sometimes I have trouble telling these same things to my husband. So really analyzing like moment by moment, what do I need um, has really helped me. And it is empowering too, because sometimes we need people to take care of each other take care of us, take care of each other. Um, and being able to ask for that is super powerful. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense to me. And there's so much, hmm, I think you get to reclaim a little bit of power for yourself in misery through self-inquiry. Mm-hmm. Cause then it feels like in the midst of grief, a lot of the time that things are happening to you and yes. they're out of control and they're not, everything is bad and nothing is good. And while you might not be able to make anything good, that might not be within your power. You can ask yourself what you need and then shoot for that. Um, which incredibly for as like flippant as that sounds is something that gives you back just like a smidgen of power, a smidgen of control. You're like, my hands are kind of on the steering wheel again. Um, and yeah, I, I think there's tremendous power in there. Um, well, as we're wrapping up, I want to ask you if you could share a resource with us that kind of sparked a seed of coming back in your world. What was it that helped you come back from your grief? I think one of the things that brought me the most community and um, was like this aha of recovery was actually a podcast. Um, it's called the dead parent society and it's put together out of the Kelly's writer house, I think in Philadelphia. And I also found that on the modern loss Facebook group, but I would go to the gym and I would listen to this podcast and like run and run and just listen to other people's stories. And it's kind of a niche podcast. It's for writers who have lost a parent. So, um, it just brought so much comfort that A, I am not the only person in this situation. B, other people are writing about it bravely. And C, you can be on a treadmill and like cry at the gym and no one really cares. <laughs> <laughs> it's a multiple revelations podcast. Yeah. So it was really cathartic. And I think it was also really inspirational for me to realize I can talk about this in a public way and um, resonate with other people. I think. I crave relationships with people my age who understand what it's like to have lost someone. I also joined a dinner party table, um, and that has been really 
wonderful too. I think one of my struggles with my experience is I really want my friends to get it and sometimes they don't and that's okay. But searching for other communities where people get it um, has been really helpful for me to kind of lift my head up and say, other people survive this. I will too. Yeah, totally. It's a combination of those two things. It's the, it's the space and it's the support also. And I think that's a a winning formula. Um, Well, before we jump off the air for the afternoon, I would love Katie, if you could tell us where people can find you and 52 beautiful things, whether online or in person. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, the website is just 52beautifulthings.com and it's 52, like the number. And I am on Instagram as well with the same um, handle and Twitter too, except Twitter's I think is just 52beautiful. And I'm also looking for people to um, guest post on the blog next year. Um, My goal is to kind of gather up these posts and maybe someday turn it into a book, hopefully some days next year. So um, asking for people who are wanting to talk about good things going on in their world as well. And I always love to have conversations with people who are searching for things like that. Looking for the good, holding the grief in the other hand. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I absolutely love it. Katie, thank you so much for joining us on coming back today. Absolutely. Thanks for the great conversation. So that's all for this episode of Coming Back. Thank you endlessly to Katie Huey for linking up with me in the Modern Loss Facebook group and for coming on Coming Back today. Katie came back by listening to the Dead Parent Society podcast, which you can find everywhere that you listen to podcasts. I've actually started listening myself and it's pretty damn good. You can find a link to Katie's website, 52beautifulthings.com, in the show notes. If you'd like grief support beyond this podcast, head to patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia where you can pledge for as little as $1 per month and receive instant access to a monthly grief support hangout with me. Thank you so much this month to Brooklyn and Darwin for joining me on Patreon. You personally are keeping this little grief podcast going. If you liked what you heard today, you can also support Coming Back by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and by telling a friend about Coming Back, because you never know what someone you love is going through. Thank you so much to Mr. Addie Goldstein, who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby for Scythia, Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at Grief Guide Shelby for Scythia, or simply shelbyforsythia.com. If you'd like to leave a question, comment, or guest suggestion for a future show, leave a voicemail or text 312-725-3043 or email me at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com. As always, my beautiful grief growers, it was incredible sharing this space and time with you today. I see you, I am proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world, and I love you. Because even through grief, we are growing. 